0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, this is really important, so please listen up. You want to save a life? You need to help one of the 14,000 patients who need a bone marrow transplant and cannot get it from a family member. I know that sounds really random, but this is important stuff. 70% of those in need will never, ever get a bone marrow transplant, but you can be the one to change that register today to become a lifesaver because the chance of saving a life is one of the most exciting and selfless things that you can personally do. Trust me, I know. In 2014, I want to say, I became a donor and it changed my life. Please do this right now. Pull out your phone, text AMAZING to 50555 or go to DKMS.org backslash 100 words with the number for a free swap kit. Swap kit's super simple. They send it to you, you become a part of the registry, and you could potentially save a life. So please, if I can do it, you can do it. So here, on with the show. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm Ray Harkins, and I'm your host, And you are listening to 100 words or less the podcast. I I know setting up the show like that seems a little redundant because if you're downloading a podcast and you are listening to it and you're like, oh crap, I was meaning to listen to, you know, WTF or This American Life, it's like, well, you probably need a better grasp of technology in the first place. But anyways, I like to, you know, kind of open the doors and welcome you in. And if this is your first time listening to the show, awesome. If this is your 150th time, even better. Thanks for joining this weird ride of, Basically, what we do here is we take a person who is involved in independent music and has either played in bands, run a record label, something in regards to this this awesome, awesome world that we've tripped across and uh, essentially defines our life. Because there are so many things, the, the, the view that I view the world in, sorry, that's redundant, the, the way in which I view the world is all completely influenced and defined by independent music and that independent train of thought it's just it's so much fun so that's why we're doing what we're doing and this guest this week is a person who typifies it because he has been at it for such a long period of time and it is uh, i was ecstatic the fact that i could get him on the show and we're talking about greg antonucci which no hold on let's 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 really not butcher his name Because, you know, I I respect him so much. And Antonucci, no, that's not even close to it. So Greg Antoni, why would I edit this out, right? Greg Antoni, he is the vocalist for The Bouncing Souls. The Bouncing Fucking Souls, people. So if you don't know who The Bouncing Souls are, they are a legendary punk band from New Jersey who have done the damn thing. They have toured across the world, played everywhere, and you cannot help but have a smile even just saying the band's name, but then listening to any one of their really, really important records, um, you know, all the way back from obviously, uh, you know, How I Spent My Summer Vacation, which is an incredibly important record to me, all the way down to their newest releases, you know, that Rise Records has been putting out for the past couple of years. They, they just know what they're doing. And uh, I, I just love to have these people on the show because uh, they hopefully will give you a sense of clarity and you know, maybe perspective on the idea of, uh, you know, just basically doing the damn thing, you know, figuring out your life as it revolves around music. And I I think Greg's story is so incredible because of that. And um, yeah, more on him in in a a moment. But I have to, I'm excited. People, humans. I've sold my house. <laughs> well, technically, there is no signature on the paper as of right now, but there are offers coming in and negotiations and all this other stuff. And I'm gonna. It's it's very exciting, and I know the next couple months are going to be pretty hectic for me in regards to moving, living with my parents for a bit, as the house that my wife and myself and uh, I te- guess technically my child, even though that lazy bum hasn't contributed anything financially to it. I'm just kidding; he's only five, but it's just an exciting thing and i like i said i know it's going to be hectic moving all over the place and kind of waiting for the house to be ready from a remodel and blah 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 but i i'm just excited and uh, it's stressful but at the same time change is a good thing so for those of you that have uh, asked that's uh you know that's that's what's happening so like I said, Greg, he was just so, uh, you know, I, I I don't know what to expect. Sometimes when I get uh, approached by people to do an interview, um, you know, I'm like, oh, man, I love that person's band, but I don't know if they've done a podcast before. I don't know if they're going to enjoy this experience of kind of, you know, pontificating for over an hour. But Greg... Dude, he was locked in. He loved the experience. I loved talking to him. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to share this conversation with you. So here's Greg from the Bouncing Souls, lead vocalist and uh, talented man extraordinaire. Um, he also is doing some dates with his uh, project called uh, Playdate, which is basically him and his wife doing uh, kids based music and uh they play here in southern california on september 18th i want to say they play at the yost theater so uh yeah just google play date um even though that may not yield the best results <laughs> but uh yeah you can find it but yeah september 18th and um yeah it's just it's great stuff and please check out the entire bounce i'm not even to drive you to you know a just listen to them. they will.
1: North of Boise is where I live now up in the mountains
0: dude that's amazing you've made the uh, the exit that most people yeah. <laughs> that most people dream of doing at some point
1: it's a big it's it's actually it's a funny thing that a lot of people don't know about they assume I live in New Jersey and I actually I lived in LA for about 10 years
0: I did know I, I knew that like that was like towards like what late 2000s you were living in LA
1: yeah it uh, probably started around 2001 or two and then we moved up here in about 2007.
0: Got it. Got it. Well, that's cool. Um, I usually start these things off with just my own sort of personal entry point to, you know, you and your music and everything you've been kind of involved in. So mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off with, uh, you know, how I spent my summer vacation reason I mentioned that record is that was that like, for me, that was kind of the record that was an epiphany for me with you guys. So, cool. you know, obviously being from Southern California, you know, I couldn't escape all of the, uh, you know, Epitaph fat records or, or the EpiFat bands, as I like to call them. Uh-huh. Uh, and I love most of them, but I didn't immediately attach myself to you guys until that record. And I, right. felt, I felt like for a lot of people, that was kind of a tipping point for you guys. Like, yeah. did you ever feel like obviously as the band was existing, you know, obviously on the East coast and in New Jersey specifically, were you guys kind of, you know, on the outside of a lot of that because so many bands were from California and obviously a part of this, you know, epitaph fat records community. Um, or was that just kind of, you know, you guys were, you guys were obviously fine with that.
1: Actually, um, we, all of that evolved in a certain, it was kind of all happening at, at the same time. So like all that epitaph stuff, those bands were kind of, growing over on the west coast as we were doing our thing on the east coast and i think it kind of all converged at this point that we had reached a certain level and then all this stuff was happening on the west coast like all these bands that all came from the west coast were really getting popular so just being like who we we are and who we were we wanted to be like no what about us you know we're the east coast and that's how the song east coast fuck you actually came about um, I don't know if you, yeah, you're right. familiar. So, yeah, yeah. So it was like we almost felt like it was necessary to like proclaim our our pride in our way, which is like the most the, the silly, retarded song that is East Coast Fuck You. But, you know, saying something that we felt real about, but in a way that was kind of silly, you know?
0: Yeah, sure. Because it. it I just always found I mean like bands like uh you know you guys and like Propagandi and these other bands that obviously existed in, mm-hmm. you know in an ecosystem that obviously you know you guys had bands to play with and you existed within a scene but there was yeah. such a there was such a focal point on like northern California southern California so many bands and like it just was uh that's why I felt like when you know I knew of you guys obviously beforehand and I think I'd seen you play prior to that record coming out but it was like that record specifically where I was just like Oh, yeah, I fucking get what they got going on <laughs> like, why what took me so long? I felt like
1: well, that's cool, but I think you know we had to get there musically too, so we had to go all the places we went, and um I think summer vacation is a good was a good culmination of a lot of learning, you know, a lot of some you know we made the records before that, we've toured, we had experienced more, and then Michael joined the band on that record, so I think all those elements went into what made summer vacation special i think and then they came out at a certain time and when all that stuff was really popular and it was almost becoming a little from our perspective it was a little bit but much but that's how it was at the time and just seems like it i can barely remember it anymore (laughs) (laughs) totally at at the time i remember being slightly like man all these west coast bands everyone's making such a big deal about it come on you know and then we ended up being friends with all those guys anyway so which was kind of cool
0: right right it's not like it's always that weird sort of um i wouldn't say competitive nature but like anytime you're obviously trying to vie for some level of attention you know you Uh you you may have that weird kind of like oh i don't know but those good riddance dudes or what you know like whatever and then you meet exactly and then you meet him and you're just like why was I? why did i ever think that (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's great when people are cool, because it's not always the case, but in many cases, in now that world, it ended up being pretty cool, and it's actually, just to sort of jump to the now, it's really actually fun to not even be in that world, play that game anymore, because we're just like none of that matters anymore because I think that's sort of a young band's game, you know?
0: (laughs) Totally. Well,
1: you're, I'm sure it's, it's still happening, but those bands are, it's, it's for a 25 year old, you know, you guys can go do that and have fun because it's, I'm over it, you know?
0: Totally. Well, yeah, I like to equate it where it's like, obviously uh, the bouncing souls are a band full of adults because you know how to handle real world problems and not concentrate on the, you know, the petty (laughs) scene drama
1: or whatever it may be. Exactly. That's, it's not that I find anymore. Not that it ever really was, but uh. totally.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. When you're in it, it it's not like you're. Uh, you, when you reflect on on those times, it's not like you're reveling in those memories of just like, oh, why did we care so much about that thing? We should have been focused on exactly. something. More
1: exactly. Universe. That's how it is now. Yeah, <laughs>
0: for, <laughs> for sure. Um, so you, you personally, you were, uh, I presume, born and raised in, in New Jersey, in and around New Jersey, or where did you come up?
1: Correct. Yeah. Um, Pete, Brian, and I all grew up in Basking Ridge with Shaw as well, the original drummer. We all went to the same high school. We were a high school band together. Um, uh, first time we ever played together was in 1987 and the first time we ever had a bouncing souls gig was in 1989. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm still in my high school band. I just had the opportunity to travel the world and make records with
0: my right. high school band, right? I'm, I was I was going to mention like it's so funny because obviously there's a very, um, there's very few people that have that experience of being like, hey, so so the Bouncing Souls, like that was your first band, and it's like most people yeah. are like, oh yeah, I was in like seventeen horrible punk or hardcore bands before that that had terrible names, and then, um, yeah, and then I maybe eventually did something, but you're still in the same band.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it is it is almost it's amazing and special. And then at the same time, it also kind of like makes me, I feel like I was in a bubble in a certain way because for many years, that's just the way we were. And then we started to see in the world like, oh, that's not how other people are. They're like, really don't, bands don't stay together, you know? (laughs) So we were kind of like this weird anomaly that, not that it was ever easy for us to stay together, but we always were like, Why would you break up when you can work it out or let's figure out a way to do it? It was always, I think, because all three of us and four of us, you know, went there first. You know, it's like this is important to us. You know, you'd always try to get to the core of whatever the issue was, so that we can continue doing and getting to the place of the band that we love because we want to keep doing that.
0: Right. Yeah. Cause I mean that the joke, I know people have said this before where it's like the most difficult part of playing in a band is obviously not breaking up. Like that's, yeah. that's like, yeah. and sometimes it's as simple as that where it's like, Oh yeah. Like let's actually not yell at each other for yeah. a prolonged period of time and figure it out.
1: Exactly. Right. And not let things fester. And, um, yeah, I mean the, the growing up that we've done together, um, is just like, it's, been our entire lives so we've gone through like every stage of life you know and I feel like now every day it's just more and more special because I see the world and I see relationships and people the relationships that don't work in the world how special it is and because of that we all are enjoying it so much more you know we all are you know married pretty much or almost married and um um so we've grown up and we've learned how to have relationships and we've learned through the bouncing souls through lots of mistakes and lots of good choices. And, um, so I value it like one more notch every single day. I'm like, that's, I just value it. It's great.
0: Yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, And so you you, you strike me as the type of person like, you know, maybe just focusing obviously on your maybe junior high, high school years or even before that. um, Mm -hmm. You seem like a pretty outgoing dude where you you, obviously you might have had problems, whatever, getting friends because you were into weird stuff. But um,
1: it's funny that you say that. Well, let me not only interrupt you. No, please, please do. um, I think I have a very, you know, almost would be considered the stereotypical lead singer personality. Um I'm very outgoing on stage, but um when it comes to like my personal life, I'm actually pretty introverted and i think if you if you kind of i've looked i've kind of like researched this to some level you know or just by default by meeting people other lead singers and in bands and stuff and it's sort of it's pretty common and um so yeah i I have like almost these two extreme sides that's sometimes I think now that I'm growing up a little bit more, I'm meeting it in the middle a little bit. I'm a little bit more outgoing in my personal life. Um, I can be, let's put it that way, as opposed to being like, I sort of choose to like, I like to be alone. Obviously I live on a mountain now with my wife and we're like, we love it up here and it's like, um, we're totally fine. Like not leaving you know not getting out in the world for like a week or two at a time and don't even think about it. So in that sense there's a part of me that's naturally just good with being quiet and not being outgoing. But I really do enjoy that other side and I think that's I think how we all are to varying degrees, you know. I think some people lean more to being outgoing and they enjoy the energy of like, you know, social energy and it energizes them and it does for me as well to a certain point where I need to like kind of be alone and recharge. So, um, yeah, I think, and as a, as a high school referring to that, going back to that time, I was awkward. I had sort of like, I was like the extremes unbalanced realm of, of my personality where I would be very outgoing, sort of a spaz, in social situations and then kind of like almost go the complete opposite. Um, which is, you know, it's kind of like, I guess your average wacky high school kid, you know, like that's, that's what I was like, you know?
0: Right. Right. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I I do agree with you there is a, um, there's a certain balance. Obviously you strike as you, you know, get older and figure out who you are of, the people who you know there's (laughs) because there's whatever the old uh i wouldn't even say the old saying but just you know people that thrust the idea of like oh so you sing in a band so you'd love to be the center of attention and you know more often than not people are like well that's just a byproduct like i like singing (laughs) and it just happens to be that i have to like be in front of everybody
1: yeah i think it would be i would be would be dishonest though if i was to say that there isn't that aspect of it that i've drives me to do it you know like there was a drive to be that center of attention um especially in high school because i think um it, it's hardwired into me and now i can kind of have a sense of humor about it as opposed to feeling like self-conscious about it but i think it was really uh a, a kind of a combination of needing attention and a combination of like having something to say that i didn't know how to say in the regular world you know it was like sort of part of that that being in high school where you're you know you're frustrated by the whole thing and you don't know why in many ways um it's just because it's retarded. high school's crazy and difficult for everyone because we're going through all these chemical changes and so being learning how to be social and um so it, it exp- it sort of fuels that like frustration and potential anger. So deep down, I think as soon as I literally met Pete and Brian and came over, those guys were in a cover band. And as soon as I like hung out while they were playing, I was like, this is cool, you know? And then literally they were like, dude, would you want to sing something? And I was like, wow. Okay. You know, let me try that. So like literally just grabbed the microphone and they started playing, um, I can't explain by the who, Mm-hmm. And, you know, I knew like the first two verses or whatever in the, the chorus. And it just clicked, you know, it was just like, this is freaking cool. Like, I just was, my little high school brain was kind of, mind was blown. Right and then i was like what other songs they're like what other songs do you know that was cool you know <laughs> well that's
0: amazing that they were uh, obviously in high school doing a cover band because i mean obviously most bands start off doing covers because you don't know how to you know craft original material but like were mm-hmm. they like doing you know like local talent shows and stuff like that or <laughs> what, what was their really? uh, mode of transportation?
1: We they were it was a party band i mean right. um Bands play. It's it's you know somewhat similar now, but back then it was you know you either like sat around and played records or you a band played you know, and uh, or some you know played cassettes on our stereo. And it just seems like it was Pete and Brian were played with this another guy uh, named Sean, and their their cover band was called The Switch. And they were they were great. They played like Ramones, U2, Billy Idol, like in the realm of punk music but also just like rock songs that we all mostly rock tunes that everybody liked led zeppelin and um stuff like that and um yeah as soon as i sort of like joined joined as the singer um we played parties and it didn't last long that we were like we don't want to just be a cover band because we were going to punk shows too and we were like going to all, seeing all these bands that were playing original material. So it did, I think it was only a matter of months after I like officially joined the band. We played like a few parties and it was just like a a ticket to the party, you know, free beer. And like literally, that was, it was just that simple, you know, it was just Um, but I think soon after that was when we were like, let's try to write songs. And then you entered this whole new realm of like, what are we going to write songs about? You know?
0: Right. Everything starts to open up. Um, and so what what was your family structure like growing up? Like brothers and sisters and what did your parents do for a living?
1: Um, I have a sister who's a year older. My dad had his own company as he's a manufacturer's rep. Okay. Uh, So, um, we had like a comfortable living um, financially you know wasn't you know we weren't wealthy, but we lived in a comfortable little house in a comfortable little New Jersey town and Pete and Brian and Cho were also like really in the same realm we lived with literally within a few miles of each other and um, my parents were divorced, separated a few times and then divorced when all throughout like my parents were divorced my probably the first time when I was like seven or eight so their relationship I think definitely caused you know it 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 hit me at a young age where it affected me a lot so I think I was like very sensitive so um it was it was definitely part of what like created me as a punk rocker you know and it it burned a little frustration into there because i couldn't understand what was going on you know and i think they tried might have tried to explain to me what was happening but i couldn't understand it and i was frustrated i think and i wasn't able to express it so that kind of all built up through my young years i think and then culminated um in high school in kind of wacky places because i hadn't really processed all that experience when i was really young
0: sure how old were you when your parents divorced
1: well they split like three times so i think that's part of what not to be to put i completely understand now as an adult but (laughs) back then i didn't get it i was like they 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 were separated like three times probably from the point where when i was like seven through like 10 or 11 so it was just like this constant like like I don't know what's happening, which, you know, sort of burned into my brain as this sense of insecurity, I think. Cause I was just like, I don't know what's going on, you know, cause they'd be back together or not back together. And that, I think, um, it, it, it definitely, it, I think as a double edged sword when those things happen to you, they're, they're there. You know, I really believe that we, we design our lives like as spirits and, you know, we design the situations we're in, We consciously choose that, like, literally on another level. And then we come in and we try to, like, play the game and learn from it. Um, So all of that was designed and very well designed for me to have a comfortable space. I mean, my dad and my mom, like, loved me, even though it was wacky at times. They always took care of me. They always, like, loved me. But having to, like sort of deal with the realms of their relationship affected me a lot. I think just by uh, osmosis, you know?
0: Sure. And w- did you kind of like split your time between your, your parents?
1: Um, yes. Um, that ended up happening and then, um, they ended up moving back in together for a while, even though they weren't together. So we lived in the same house for a while. um, So, all of that created a strange dynamic.
0: Absolutely. Well, I mean, (laughs) that doesn't, like you said, obviously, as a younger person, the inputs of your parents, like, you know, splitting up, like, that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And then on top of that, the kind of push and pull of, obviously, what your parents were trying to do, either reconciling or just, you know, because it was easy to live together. um, I can easily see why, you know, the turmoil and strife you were going through would be expressed in, (laughs) like, did you... Were you finding yourself "quote unquote" acting out in high school, Um, like I I just Uh, said, in weird ways? But uh, what did that mean? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I mean, um, by the time I was a sophomore, I I ended up kind of discovering punk rock, and I think that was like that was the place that I could be a rebel. And then once I found, I think it it started. I started teetering in that world with sister was sort of hung out with that older kids that were they actually were a pretty cool group they were all a year or two older in our town they were called the 13 fun guys
0: hey real talk here for a minute so at the very beginning of the show you heard me talk about bone marrow donation and blood cancer and these are terrifying things and i while i personally have not been afflicted by any of these diseases or any of my family members it's it's something that I can't imagine where you're sitting there on a waiting list looking for a perfect match for you because they they can't just obviously take bone marrow from somebody and put it in somebody else because obviously there's a lot of I'm not going to pretend to know the science so don't 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 hold me to any of this but you know your body rejects certain blood types that sort of stuff so what I am urging you to do is be a donor like me so what I've done is you you get this awesome little kit sent to you in the mail. And you can get that kit by text AMAZING, A-M-A-Z-I-N-G, to the number 50555. Or go to DKMS.org slash 100 words. And what you'll be able to do is they'll send you a little swab kit. And what I mean by that, it's a little something, a little like Q-tip you put in your mouth, you send it back to them, and then they put you as a part of the registry. Who knows? You may not even be able to quote-unquote help in regards to a perfect match. But if you do... It's one of the best experiences that you'll ever have in your life because I was able to do this and it was a great experience. Like basically went to a local hospital. You know, they they, they took the bone marrow for me. It was a painless process. There was really no uh, downside to it whatsoever. And the fact that I knew that I was going to be saving a person's life, are you kidding me? That weighs heavy. So, and heavy in a good way. So please, like I said, go to DKMS.org backslash 100 words or the phone that you're listening on right now text amazing a-m-a-z-i-n-g to five zero five 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 and then they'll send you a swab kit and then you will be able to save someone's life please because who knows it could happen to you it could happen to your family it could happen to your friends and if you're not a part of this registry you aren't able to help so please do it up now <laughs> that's amazing that's <laughs> amazing Right? Did they like did they coin that term them like that group name themselves, I guess?
1: <laughs> I don't know where the name came from, but if you like just can conjure in your imagination like an eighties movie, you know, like sort of like the crew of like artsy fartsy geek dudes mm-hmm. that were really like, you know, super smart and like just like dressing wacky. And really, just like not fitting in like now they would look like hipsters in Brooklyn, you know like, but back then it was like they were just totally different, and they were the thirteen fun guys, so I think by just whatever happened with that, like they just had such a big group that they could i bet it I think it fueled their confidence you know in their in their real like artsy outsider way of thinking and being and they were musicians they had bands and stuff so they were all like my sister kind of hung with them a bit not completely but she was friends with them and they definitely had an influence so i was getting some of that music my sister listened to like the smiths and who's could Do and all that that realm the replacements and i was, that was filtering through my sister and then it just got to the next level when i started hung, hanging out with um Brian and Pete like Brian was on the hardcore side of things like really into New York hardcore. So I was getting, you know, getting all that from Brian. Um, and, uh, it culminated. And then once I had like a crew, like I was like, there's Brian Pete, and a few other friends of us that were, that were in department going to shows. It's definitely kicked in. Like, I was like, I am going to dress like this. And so I guess in a sense you could say that was, um, Flashing out but as far as like real like crazy like breaking the law stuff none of that really happened
0: right right well that's good yeah you you felt like the need to obviously express yourself in a non-conventional way just because you know (laughs) the conventions of your life were not uh, making sense so you're just like yeah these 13 fun guys and like my sister's into this stuff so yeah let's go ahead and do this
1: yeah like we we joke about it now too like amongst the band like we really lived in a very like a great, we were brought up in a great time and a great um, proximity. Like it was a comfortable enough town that it was comfortable to kind of go get, go around and do whatever. But it wasn't like extremely affluent that we were in a bubble that we we didn't see the what you know. And to some degree, we we didn't see the inner city world and and and, and experience that, but. Uh, we also would go to New York city. Like my family was there. So I, I was exposed to that to some level and, and it, I, I valued where I grew up at now, even though at the time I probably was like, this place sucks. Right. Dude.
0: <laughs> of course. Um, and did you have any sort of, I guess, ambitions in regards to like a career or anything from a, uh, job slash real life perspective, or were you just kind of, once you got bitten by the music bug, it was like, well, that's the only thing I care about. I'll just, you know, build my life around that.
1: I think uh having once we got started then it seemed like something like it was such a pipe dream though like you had I think it, it, it's so funny because you think about I think about so many things that people have like invented and done on just like some crazy idea that didn't seem to make any sense you know like and And they just didn't listen to logic, and uh, where in many cases that's probably ninety percent of the time is is usually best to listen to logic. But that ten percent, you have to not because if we had logic about it, there was no chance really of becoming a successful punk band that was financially, you know, like doing anything in nineteen eighty seven. You know, like there weren't examples. You know, there were examples of bands that were, like, you know, on this underground circuit living in vans, in you know, like, and that was the world that we were in. And it was so cool. Like, I think that's why we just kept doing it. It just felt so cool to be a part of something that was truly underground. So, you know, we went, you know, we go to specific record stores that only certain people knew about and certain, like, venues that only certain people knew about. And um, that, although I try not to be nostalgic, I just want to like point out about how cool that was. And okay. it felt so cool to like be, know about this now and sort of like, wow, we're going to actually try to like become a creator in this realm. You know, like we're going to try to create and be a, like proactive energy in this realm of coolness. You know, how amazing would that be? So Um, I think that was all we needed to motivate us. It wasn't like, oh, let's, you know, I think the idea of making money from it was in our brain somewhere, but it wasn't like the main motivator. Like, it wasn't a career choice. Like, hmm, let's create this business and then we'll be able to own a house by the time we're 30, maybe 30, you know? Like, none of those thoughts crossed our mind, you know? It was about, like, This thing that was obviously deeply hardwired into each of us that we would never even be able to talk about we had something to say and we had some energy to like really like put into our lives in the world and I, I don't know how else to explain it and we were driven by the moment,
0: you know? Yeah. That, I mean, that's when, you know, when I say build your life around music, it doesn't mean that that obviously it's like, yeah, I got to take crappy jobs to, you know, go on tour or whatever. And that, that doesn't yeah. matter, but that's the focal point where it's like, all right, everything else is, is right. sort of, you know, not white noise, but just like, okay, that's <laughs> the job I have is of service to the band as opposed to the other way around.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it also, you know, I, I, after, you know, living in the world, as long as I have, I've also appreciated having that kind of very specific vision at age 18, 17, you know, to be like, wow, this is something I really want to pursue. You know, I've seen many, you know, young people who don't have that kind of like specific vision, you know, be like, and that was a gift, you know, to like, which I didn't realize at the time, but like many people are like, I don't know what I want to do, you know, and that's, that's really hard to manage. Yeah, totally. Uh, It can be, you know, it can be fun. It can also be hard to manage, so... Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
0: Um, And and I'm not going in chronological order, so we're just kind of jumping around here, but the um, obviously the mode of the band, as you've mentioned uh, a few points in the conversation, was always obviously trying to give off, um, you know, positive vibes, I'll say, (laughs) where you guys obviously didn't take yourself seriously uh, or overly seriously. um, Yeah. And, you know, obviously it's... uh, that it was kind of antithetical for a lot of what was happening, obviously in the punk scene when you guys were playing and still, still to this day, because obviously, you know, punk hardcore, whatever you want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. there's still, you know, strains of violence that are peppered throughout. I mean, especially yeah. like you said, you know, when you're going to New York city, hardcore shows in the late eighties, early nineties that permeated. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I presume that, uh, you know, obviously the decision to be positive and, and that's the kind of the message that you're going around, you know, putting out there, um, Was there, uh, I guess, resistance from that perspective where people are just like, hey, look at these fucking jokers up here. Like, you know, what are the the bouncing souls think they're doing? Like, you know, trying to have fun at a show. We need to be serious and, like, you know, mosh hard or whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, yes, there was that. Like, I think we had a mutual thing that all of us shared was there, you know, and something we'd seen in bands by, by bands we liked. You know there is an undeniable factor like you can be on stage and reach the most jaded and most like far off genre like person that who's into whatever they're into there is a place that you can be where that person just like can't deny you you know what i mean so i think we've just been in search of that place and like and that means, you know, meaning like, in you know, songwriting and in, in performance. And back then it was really about performing because we didn't have re- recordings or we weren't like, okay, here's our amazing record. We can stand behind this thing. It was just about like going up there with that energy. And so I don't think it was like, again, it wasn't an intellectual thing. I think we just naturally were like, we want to live in a realm that's, positive you know we'd seen different types of bands we've seen how we feel after seeing certain types of bands and that would be like that's what we want to do you know i want to do that that's whatever happens there that's how i wanted people to feel at our show i think we all kind of like in our different experiences and shows we went to and shared experiences we would kind of be like yeah that was awesome you know we should do that or that'd be cool and all those things sort of like over the years like we honed in on that Uh, you know with trial and error and i think that's what started to happen it it didn't really start to emerge really until like the mid-90s when we started really getting some real recognition and back then as you well knew it was like a very uh things were like so overjudged in that world like hardcore and political stuff and kind of language you're using it was just like so scrutinized and like as the audience it seemed like they had the right to like just tell the bands what to be and and if you you know all this kind of crazy stuff that doesn't exist anymore but was such a big deal then and it was like created this space of like really restriction where we were just like aren't we all supposed to be creating this world to like free ourselves from that know <laughs> sure. so we would have those conversations like that we'd see these bands that were like rule makers making rules and straight edge and like this and that which i think to cover that territory really quick like and Mackay and with Meyer, and what he did with Meyer Threat and Discord was one of the pivotal, most like inspirational, motivational things that were, existed for the bouncing souls. So it wasn't about straight edge, it was about in in the presentation of he was like, here's who I am. It means something to me, and I'm gonna say this. And it wasn't about like making rules, you know, which all this onslaught onsla- of like crazy bands that came later. So we would get have those conversations. We would be like, "What? You know, like is going on? Like that sucks, you know?" So, a lot of times we'd be on these bills. And as I said, you said I'm allowed to just keep elaborating. <laughs> so I just keep talking about it. No, it's fine. I keep talking about it. I just popped into my head. I feel like I'm 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 uh on a tangent. No, you're good. But I guess I'm not. I'm 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 wrapping it back in. Um so we really felt it a challenge to be like, if we can play this straight edge hardcore bill where there's like nine straight edge hardcore bands and we're the one wacky punk band, like we have to get to that place that's that's undeniable that these hardcore kids will be like, Well, yeah, they're cool, you know like and and you know, in general we got there you know and and it started to. we didn't know it until probably like 95 96 where people started saying things like wow you know bouncing soul show is like the only show that you go to and you see like punk dudes and metal dudes and like there's like hardcore dudes so it started to be like damn you know all that stuff you know, like again it wasn't completely intentional now we want. We think we should have all these people. We always. What was very intentional. Now that I, I'm, I'm on the subject is, we know we're doing something wrong if there aren't girls at our shows. Sounds crazy, well, but that was,
0: I, I mean, I, I. It's not crazy because obviously that is what you were. Um, the, that that is the environment that you were you were watching because it was so, you know, exactly you're right. You're right. So, so male dominated. I mean, obviously exactly. people can look at shows today and are like, "Oh yeah, it's still male dominated." And it, that of course it's true, but it's like yes. the, the percentages have shifted so greatly that now you're seeing, you know, you can almost say it's like a 50-50 split at some shows. And that's and it's yeah. positive as opposed to, you know, what you're experiencing where it's like 98% male.
1: <laughs> yes. So right, it doesn't sound, it's not crazy. If you put it in that perspective of the way things were it really that was a complete conscious thing that we would pay attention to and really wanted to like help create and we did and that was another thing that was like sometimes sometimes even back then after we got even a little bigger some hardcore kids or that were just friends or whatever would be like Man, it's kind of cool. There's like girls at your shows, you know. So that was like we're like hell yeah, dude. <laughs> what the hell that- you doing out there with the sausage fest, man? You can have that, right? All you want.
0: <laughs> well, I, I I like that too. I like the way that you framed it because I think there is there are certain bands that are um, you know sort of uh, cross genre where it's like you know. I not to directly compare you guys to this because obviously they have a a completely different um, motive but like the the Aquabats like they're a prime example too of a band like you know you would see you know everybody at their shows from people who obviously like ska diehards and then you know whatever people like myself who are just like oh yeah whatever I'll go with my girlfriend who's into ska you know when I'm like 16 years old and I'm like a total you know straight edge vegan hardcore kid and then I go to the show and I was like yo that shit's fun like (laughs) that was amazing and it's like that's the sort of environment that you uh you know not every band can pull off because obviously it's like you said it's a it's a a slog because a lot of people don't understand what you're doing for a long time but then it it does reach that point where people are like oh yeah everybody can go to a bouncing shoals show and enjoy it
1: yes and i think also we were figuring out that too and i think by the time um you know the the late 90s came around we were able to present it in a way i think that was a lot more like and then records like summer vacation came out by like 2001 and by that point i think it's a good it's a good example of a a point in our career where we had been able to present that in a record even and then go out on tour and like this is how our vibe and this is more clear cut you know of an understanding as an audience member you can feel what we're about and it was more clear
0: totally totally um on that same sort of idea where like obviously as your popularity started to grow and the trajectory seemed, you know, like obviously you were playing to larger, uh, you know, l- larger venues and more people were paying attention. Right. Um, you know, did, did you guys ever find yourself in that position where obviously I can only imagine that, you know, whatever major labels or like sort of the next level appeared in front of you guys. And obviously for one reason or another, you decided, you know, you didn't want to do that. didn't make sense as far as timing was concerned, whatever the reason may be, but I'm sure, um, you have some funny stories in regards to like, oh yeah, once like Interscope came out and they like watched us play and then they left and they didn't say anything. You know, I just find those stories so um, indicative of the time when people are, were trying to obviously pick up independent artists and kind of thrush them to a wider level. Or did you guys not have any of that?
1: <laughs> um, it's fun that you asked that question because I have a great story. like that. I, to me, it's kind of a, a golden nugget. Um, I'll try to make it as brief and to the point as I can. Um, I'm not going to name any names. I don't. That, <laughs> that doesn't sake. matter. Yeah, there yeah. was a guy who worked at AR R for Atlantic, and this was probably 94, 95, somewhere in there. Um, and he was almost like the guy who was going like out to retrieve these punk bands that had developed a following and were ready now that now that it must have been right after Green Day became big. It was like that point where i was like oh let's go find out what's going on in this world and sign these bands and give them you know throw money at them and see what happens or whatever they were going to do so this guy was kind of like at atlantic was like that guy he was like and he somehow got in touch with us and he wanted to meet with us so everybody in the band was all kind of like whoa this is happening you know all these years, we're like DIY, being punk, and doing things ourselves. And now we're faced with the reality. We actually, you know, it's easy to be DIY when you don't have another option. You know, like it's different. Right. You know, you can fly that flag all over the place until, you know, you, 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 know, you have another option. Anyways, so here's the setting. Okay. This is the fun part. We play a show in DC. It must have been 96, actually, because we, we did a tour on the East Coast opening up for seven seconds, okay? We play with seven seconds. um, We're backstage. The dude is this A&R guy from Atlantic's coming to hang out with us and chat with us and meet with us. So to me, it was like the most symbolic thing that could be happening. He rolls in, um, and he's chatting with us. There's Kevin. We're sharing a backstage. we you know, become friends with Kevin, who was a total hero of ours, and all the Seven Seconds guys. So we just completely became great friends with super sweet guys, loved us. And it was just a, another thing in the long line of like special things that I've had happen to me by being in the Bouncing Souls, like becoming friends with Seven Seconds and, and all that stuff. So as we're sitting there chatting with this guy, who walks in? Ian Mackay, because he's gonna go hang out with his bud Kevin Seconds. (laughs) So good already. Right? So there we're in one corner of the room talking to the quote unquote devil. You know what I mean? Like going down the road.
0: The man, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. There we are. And the only other people in the room on the other side in the corner is Kevin Seconds and Ian Mackay chatting with each other, giving these hugging each other. walking in hugging each other chatting like best old friends and it was all it just hit me like a ton of bricks right there i was like this is it like this is this is one message being sent to you and there's the other message being sent to you and um it was awesome
0: that's the total fork in the road moment where it's like all right we either do this we're we're either with them or against them (laughs) because there is that especially too at that time like you know Obviously, in the, the mid-90s, it was that, you know, feeding frenzy of every major label trying to get their hands on a piece of, you know, whatever Green Day and Offspring offshoots there were. Um, so, you, it was more of a, um, you know, blood-in-the-water scenario there as opposed to, you know, whether it's like, you know, if a punk band gets signed now, like, obviously, you look at, like, Rise Against. And it's like, clearly, they're very successful and they haven't compromised anything of what they've done. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, that they're a... Uh, exception and maybe not the rule, but it's like, yeah, at that time, <laughs> I could easily see the, oh man, we're either with them or against them.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like you said, it's, it's sort of important now that we're doing this podcast at this time a day and age, like the environment was much, much different back then. And it was like, also, you know, this idea of making a ton of money and becoming big when you are like choosing, Oh, I'm going to choose to just live in this van and be completely broke. You know, like, so it was these very extremes, like this idea of getting a big pile of money so that you can do what you want to do or choose something that's unknown and you have to like sort of fight for it harder on your own and scrape with every little penny that you have because of you believe in something and you don't know at that moment, if it's really going to be the right choice. It's not like anything in our, in our lives in each moment, you know, you can only choose what you think's best, but luckily, you know, Ian McKay and Kevin seconds were there, you know, to like help with that choice. You know, it really helped me to be like there's, you know, there's, i i I want to be that i want to be I'd rather you know struggle and be live for something that meant something to me and if I can like make that a part of what I do in my life and 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 carry that I think it's just better to choose that <laughs> I don't know if it's gonna be easy and it was it was not easy, but I'm really glad we chose what we chose because soon after that there was a long line of bands that signed. To those labels and ended up almost 90 percent of them either like their records got shelved they didn't see the money they were supposed to see all these just things that crappy stuff that happened to them one thing or another after they signed to these major labels
0: yeah and you, then you obviously yeah you guys didn't have to uh you didn't have to what if this scenario you're just like no we we chose we're still around and obviously yeah. many of those bands um you know probably aren't So I'm very excited because our good friends at Blue Apron are back. And what is Blue Apron, you may ask? So what they do is they take all these amazing ingredients. So like high quality that that just tastes better. So like you like food, right? So what I would like to do is I would like to uh, take you out to dinner. And how do you do that? So you get three meals for free when you visit this website. Go to blueapron.com backslash words, and you'll love how good it feels, how good it tastes to create some incredible home-cooked meals for yourself, your family, and, you know, maybe some friends. So go to blueapron.com words, and I'll be able to get you three free meals. Now, why should you do this? Well, Blue Apron does not mess around. They basically get all of the best ingredients around. And like, you know, me personally, obviously I'm vegan, so I don't eat, eat meat, don't eat fish, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. And as a result... The seafood is sourced sustainably, the beef is raised humanely, blah, blah, blah. All that sort of stuff. Like I said, I I, I can't speak to it because I don't eat it. But what's amazing is they offer vegetarian options as well. And you can veganize it as well. You can basically take this you're like, okay, I'm not going to use that. I'll use this. So basically, they have an option for everybody, whether you eat meat or whether you're vegan like myself. It's awesome stuff. And what I like the best about it is I cook with my wife. We get to hang out, chop up some veggies, Put it in pots and pans and I I don't know anything about cooking, but I am able to walk through this process and be able to make an amazing meal in 40 minutes or less. It's so good and it's relatively cost effective. It's less than $10 a meal. So basically, you know, you go out with your family or you and your significant other, and you end up spending $25, $30 on a dinner. This, $10 a pop, perfect. So here, here's some of the meals they have available in August spiced pork burgers with goat cheese and cucumber corn salad summer vegetable and quinoa bowl with fairy tale eggplants shishito peppers and corn i've had that it's unbelievable and chicken tinga tacos with summer squash and tomato salsa yo just do this right now blueapron.com slash words sign up get some free food you'll love it i promise um (laughs) The, uh, you know, kind of kind of fast forwarding, but I, I obviously find a very interesting component of uh, your life and your musical talents, obviously, with uh, with Playdate and obviously mm-hmm. children's music, uh, you know, being a focal point of your life, you know, for whatever the past five, ten years, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that world in and of itself is so bizarre and strange because yes. you know the, uh, honestly i would e- equate it to like the christian music industry where it's like you know there's the mm-hmm. christian music industry where it lives in parallel to the secular music industry where it's like you know the <laughs> did you know that the christian music uh scene like they they have uh, their own grammy awards did you know that
1: i didn't know that
0: yeah and they call it the doves which is like,
1: I mean, okay. it,
0: blew, it blew my mind. Anyways, I use that as an anecdotal uh, portion of what I'm trying to get at with you, where it's like, yeah. obviously, it's this, you know, children's music is this weird, you know, competitive, uh, yet yeah. also obviously trying to be super positive and fun. Um, yeah. So I'm sure once you started, obviously, uh, getting some notoriety within the context of that project, um, mm-hmm. you were probably put in sort of weird situations and probably even more uncomfortable than what it was like playing in front of, you know, 800 indifferent people to the Bouncing Souls, Um, or or was it generally just all kind of positive within the context of Playdate?
1: Absolutely. You've hit on a very interesting and very valid subject when it comes to doing this, the family-friendly music project. Like, there's many situations where my wife and I saw certain bands and we were just like, God, we don't want to be like that. Are we like that? We don't want to be like that, you know? Um, So we really truly, once we started it, you know, we didn't consciously start it like until, um, you know, we put out our record. And then we realized okay, if we're going to put our record, this record out, we're gonna figure out how to make this work live and how we want it to feel for us. And 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 that's what went into making the record. We're like, we want this music to be music we wanna play as adults. And we wanna make it like loving and caring and and really embrace the children and to make them feel that way. But also make it so it's kind of cool for parents to just like hang with and listen to and let them so they'll feel like it's something that they're cool that they're listening to like good music so those were our intentions and i think by focusing on that and trying not to pay too much attention to like all that you just described a like realm of like it goes super deep of like how bad it gets and um we have come across a bunch of that and even the realm of like like you said, even competitiveness, which is, it's as, as competitive or more competitive than anything I've experienced in like the rock world or the punk world. And in that world realm, we're both just like, how bizarre is this? Like we're supposed to be doing this for children for real. And now we're both, we're competing, like right. with this right. fake crazy smile, you know, like kids, you know it, it's like really bizarre like it's almost a little more genuine on this rock and roll world you know it's just not as strange <laughs> well I, and
0: i think too because it's like you know obviously when you're doing something for children there is that um you know unintentional premise of like oh we're doing this to enrich their lives We're in do- we're doing this with you know yeah. good motives but then for every you know one or two people or one or two music projects or whatever one or two children's books that are obviously doing it to um you know with you know altruistic intentions there is you know a complete underbelly of people who are just literally trying to make money off of you know the the moment that children are born obviously like trying to
1: it's like a a career choice in the like most intellectual kind of way
0: Totally. Totally. I, I just, I, I find it so fascinating and especially people that have obviously come from the same scene that you and I have, um, mm-hmm. that do, uh, you know, have dabbled in that they, they do it with trepidation and then, you know, they yeah. have, they have fun with it to a certain extent, but then they see, you know, the, the horrific side that sometimes, you know, whatever. Cause I, I've heard of like, you know, they have like children's music conferences where it's like, you know, a bunch yes. of people and like, have you guys participated in that? We did. Okay.
1: And, that, and that's, we went to one in Philly and cause we just wanted to go there like see what's really going on here. you know, and, um, I'd say it was like a 50, 50 experience. Like we met some really cool people and it was really weird too. Um, so, and it, I'm glad we did it. Cause now I know for myself, as opposed to like, kind of being like, that seems like it's really weird. Don't want to do that. So I think that was why we chose, we were invited and we're like, Let's go do it let's go be an, have an open mind let's go check it out. maybe we'll meet some people that are cool and that's what we did and we did and now I, I don't I'm not interested in going back to another one but I'm glad I went and um, just like you said and it, it has in this world of the kids music world it has every element. it has real genuine awesome people who are really trying to do something that's good. I'm glad they exist and then other people that are just not that.
0: Right, right. Um... The uh, you know something I always find fascinating, obviously for for bands that amass such a catalog like you guys have had, um, mm-hmm. where it's like you know not only obviously your full lengths, but the fact that you have a uh, you know litany of songs that have been included on um, you know a variety of projects. And you know I, I'm going to selfishly mention one of them because I actually worked at the label that put this out, where wow. I, I uh, worked at Century Media Records when I was putting together the Sick of It All tribute record. And oh, cool. Yeah, and it, I would just your, your song and contribution was great. So there you go, shout out to that but um how do you uh, how do you even pick songs at this point like that must be a uh a real herculean task for you guys to be like all right so we're playing this show we gotta try to please ourselves by playing obviously the songs that we just written on this new record but then also you know we can't bum out too many people by just being like all right we're playing the new record from front to back like you know how do you guys how does that sit in your
1: head well I mean, I I've thought about this many times. Like I, we could have made a really hilarious reality show called like the set list, you know,
0: <laughs> dude, I love that.
1: <laughs> um, and just if we had two dudes with cameras in the room, every time we've had conversations about set lists and then you've got like a whole season's worth of, of, uh, of episodes. Um, so it's ridiculous. It's hilarious, it's ridiculous. The conversations we have are ridiculous. And, you know, then we end up playing like the same 15 songs and then we're like and then somebody's finally like we had to rope other people in because we lose we're like this retarded old dudes like can't see anything anymore like, you can't even see the scope of what's possible, you know, because of, um, just kind of get too far in it. So everyone's like, you haven't played this. Why don't you play that? And you're like, Oh yeah, that song, you know, like there's just so many songs. You have to look at a list of them. Otherwise you can't even think of them. So yeah, it's like this crazy game that, do
0: you have like, do you, do you honestly have, like, I, I'm, I'm just really interested in the practical aspects of it too. Whereas okay. it's like, do you have this like, you know, whiteboard up or like Excel grid that you guys look at the songs and you're just like, all right, let's eliminate these here. These are going to go to column B cause we don't play them that much or whatever. Like, how do you even you know organize it? Cause like you said, you have to look at a list cause there's no way you can yeah. remember all those.
1: Yeah. Well, if we want to get into the, the, exactly to get into it, for example, um, well, I, I don't want to give it away too much. No, no,
0: no. I don't want to. I don't want to give away your trade secrets. I don't want yeah. to push that. Okay, far.
1: let's go back. Um, like for home for the holidays, like that's it herculean. That's the herculean task. We've got three nights or four nights to play different songs every night. 90% of the people that are there have seen us like 20 times a piece. They've you've heard every song. So that, those are the, the times when it's the most difficult because you want to bring them something different or interesting at least. Um, so yeah, we've, that's why we've done wacky stuff at the home for the holidays. Like we rented the, the, uh, bingo machine with the ping pong balls. We put all the songs on ping pong balls and, um, literally like picked a ball comes up and our buddy on the side picks it. We called out the song and we'd start playing it. He'd pick another one and write it on a dry erase board and show it to the audience, but not to us while we're playing a song.
0: (laughs) So good. And
1: and, um, then the song would end and he would show it to us. And then we pretty much just had to be like, okay, got it. One, two, three, four. Go. So that was probably like a moment that I'm really proud of because that whole year we had learned our eight of our records and we were playing them two records a night in uh, eight cities around the world. We did four nights, you know, we did four nights of home for the holidays. We played two records a night, consecutive order, and then we were like, we learned all these songs. We got to take this on the road, otherwise, it's such a waste of time because it was so. It was a serious task so we did it in eight cities around the world and by the time that ended and we were playing the next home for the holidays like the next year roughly after some other touring i just we were like rocky as a band like it was ridiculous like you know it was so cool to experience that kind of conditioning like you're like in the in my realm of like experience of myself being like an an Olympic athlete kind of like how I could get myself to a point of like knowing all the songs inside and out being conditioned to sing them, you know, and physically being able to sing a band being like this sharp as hell thing. It was awesome. So that was the culmination of that. We were able to like, out of over a hundred songs up to like 110 songs, I think we were able to look at that sign and be like, I know I got that shit. Here it goes.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. You're a well-oiled machine. That's great.
1: And it's crazy how fast that goes away.
0: (laughs) Totally. It's a, it's a muscle that if you don't work, yeah, you just completely forget that. Um,
1: So yeah, I kind of went on a tangent there, which is no, cool. Oh,
0: dude, I love I love it. That's, that's that's exactly what the what podcasting is all about—tangents yeah. because they lead to you know unexpected places.
1: Exactly.
0: The um the last thing I want to hit on was okay. the um. You know, obviously, like, something you mentioned previously where, you know, you don't, you yourself aren't overly nostalgic where it's like, you know, you look at the uh, the old days and are like, oh, things were way back better than, you know, get off yeah. my lawn, old man stuff. Um, you know, yeah. but, uh, but obviously much is made of, especially like, you know, looking at Warped Tour, like obviously that lineup has evolved over years to where, you know, even if bands, uh, you know, of a certain generation, either, you know, late 80s, early 90s or even mid 90s play, you uh warp tour like it's more of a oh that that's cool that they play but like no one's actually going to watch them because a 14 year old kid doesn't care about you know whatever no use for a name or whatever. Bad example, but you get what I'm saying. Yes. Um so like do you know how do you kind of personally sort of push back against the you know nostalgia? Like obviously I think it's cool because you know you guys obviously work with Craig at Rise and you know mm-hmm. clearly you make sense in you know, a certain context of that label, because obviously Craig is you know essentially an old punk and hardcore dude, and he mm-hmm. you know his first uh, record was funded by uh, Kevin Seconds, but right. they you know but most people would look at the the roster and just be like, what do you guys have in common with you know insert metalcore band A or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I, I know I'm kind of front loading it and putting a lot of stuff out there, but I just find it um, you know interesting for people such as yourself who how you guys kind of push back on. Um, yeah, just that old man, get off my lawn sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. I I think, I I think it's on the subject reflected a little bit of what I've kind of talked about in my, the way I've talked about certain things in this, in this conversation. It's like, I do have a side of me that obviously some things that when I grew up in the eighties and like those real underground stuff was like so cool. I don't want it to be that way again but there's a, like a bunch of you know if i if i go there and we we'll talk about it and sometimes think about it and i kind of can't i don't know i can't avoid it either like in a lot of when i'm confronted with certain things in the way the world is now um and how so much because everything's happening in front of us with all these like it's you know <laughs> it's hard really it's hard to not be like the oh, old man yelling uh, get off my lawn but
0: and and honestly i mean honestly if that's like if that's how you truly feel that i mean no one could begrudge someone of feeling that because there is that you know that element of like oh like i don't even recognize this thing that i'm a part of now so of course i'm gonna look back you know in with rose-colored glasses on this time that was obviously so special to me so i I get that feeling
1: yeah well i think as far as the bouncing souls and what the bouncing souls does i think we hire in our own world we have our fans and we have what we like to do and we kind of don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? So we're having fun. And if we're considered to be old dudes on the porch, I think we don't care that much because we know we're having a good time. And it's like, if again, it's the undeniable factor. Like if we're having a good time on stage, we know most times, unless the most jaded person can have something bad to say, but 90% of everyone else is going to be like, those guys are just having a good time. It has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with genre. It has nothing to do with what's popular. Um, That's something that people can feel, you know what I mean, in that moment. As far as all that, that's where we're at as a band, and then that's a timeless thing. So as far as, like, when I'm confronted in life with all this stuff, like the technology and stuff, I find myself really being the old man, and then in the second, next second, I'm like, "Wow! All this technology has enabled so much stuff to be possible. It's enabled on every level of my life and all of our lives. Um, so I think it's this beast that we're all kind of, tr- as humans, trying to manage at this point in our history, and it's it's not an easy thing to manage, um, especially like the, like I feel. Um, you know again like I feel for the kids growing up like you know there's a lot of entitlement and a lot of like so much is available to them and you want things to be available to kids you know we live out here in the mountains and I see like how cool it is that these young kids like you can tell they're like they can learn they, they're not like backwoodsy kids you know like they you can tell they're in tune with what's happening in the world and like that is great that's not a bad thing at all it's like all good but then this part of me that's like you know we we had to work for these things and this sense of discovery and the sense of all that stuff but um then i just in the end i'm like it is what it is i'm just gonna you know and that's gonna have to be how it is but i'm just sharing with you some of my process of what i go through went on that subject. Well, I
0: mean, it is, it has to be a process because like, especially when you are um, so readily attached to something that obviously is a very finite moment for most people in their lives, you know, getting introduced to, you know, punk, hardcore, independent music, uh, you know, between the ages of 15 and 25 is when most people are active. And then usually, you know, real life gets in the way or obviously they can't go to as many shows or whatever the reasons are. So the fact that you know it leaves people like you and I not struggling but reconciling the idea of like I'm attached to this thing that I will always be the oldest person in the room because there's always going to be a new 14 year old kid that's going to a show or whatever
1: yeah and they're creating their world and totally it's like it's their time and they're creating music for each other and I don't have to be interested in it I I don't I don't it it is what it is I don't have it doesn't have to do anything for me Um, I don't need to get mad at it that's something that's my problem but um and i think that's also i feel really good about it too because like i feel so happy that i was born when i was and i discovered all those things and now i again i value and i appreciate it because i wouldn't want to be born into the world right now um i value the fact that i had to ride a ticket train for 45 minutes or more to go to a record store you know that had only specific a couple records and i can only afford to buy like two records and then i'll go back home right and you're like that's it <laughs> do, and, do, it's, do, it's such a great there's such a charm to it and i'm so glad that i had to do that you right know? yeah
0: and do you uh, uh, please forgive me but do you have i forget do you have children yourself or no i don 't okay, um yeah, just because that that's something that I know that a lot of other a lot of people that obviously are attached to you know the the, the scene and I use that in air quotes um, yeah. it, it, they they struggle with that as well in raising their children because there's that 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 push and pull of like, all right well, I know my kid needs to rebel against me at a certain point. Um, but then I've had to reconcile this rebellion in my own head because I've done this for so long. (laughs) Like just anyway, it's just those like hurdles everyone has to go over where it's just like, Oh shit, I guess I gotta like figure this out now. (laughs) Like not only as a, as a parent, but then as a individual within, uh, you know, it's been shaped by an independent music scene, you know?
1: Absolutely. And, um, it's like, that's the challenge I think we're all going through because it's growing pains. And that's, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, you need to be changing and pushing against um, whatever conventions you've, you know, built around yourself, because it's like, well, is this actually what I like, believe? Is this actually what I feel? Or you know, yes. do I? Do I or, or am I pulled more towards, you know, the proverbial center where it's like, oh, well, maybe, maybe that thing I was rebelling against so hard, like, isn't so bad, or, you know, I'm able to exactly I'm able to change the
1: human being Yeah, because we can depend on that everything's going to keep changing that's what we know for sure yep that is absolutely
0: true <laughs> well Greg I really really appreciate you hanging out with me this has been uh, a lot of fun for me and I hope it was uh, like I said the dessert I was trying to give you <laughs> at the beginning of the uh, conversation
1: yeah thanks Raymond I, I enjoyed this conversation um, so yeah thanks a lot I appreciate it
0: alright so that was Greg and like I said just what a what a good dude, right? And I like how he uh, <laughs> he was uh, he was able to uh, reveal the myth that he no longer lives in Jersey, but uh, you know he's uh, he's doing the damn thing up in Boise, Idaho, and that's awesome. But um, yeah, here's here's some plugs because you do need to pay attention to these things. So one the new bouncing souls record is called simplicity it comes out on rise records uh, i want to say july 29th so go to any digital music provider or record store and obviously pick that up because i listen to the record and it's very 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 good like it's one of those things where you know you expect certain bands of a uh, you know certain age to be like oh yeah they're just going to give me the same record over and over and while the bouncing souls Push themselves. It's not so far to where you're like, oh, this doesn't even sound like the band. It's basically the Bouncing Souls you know and love, um, with you know some nice new polish here and there. And they just know what they're doing, and it's awesome. So, and they're also playing September 17th here in Southern California uh, at the third annual Horton's Hayride, which is a uh, Reverend Horton Heat. He puts on like a festival. I've heard of it; it's pretty cool. And uh, tickets are available for that. And then, like I said, play date, which is his fun project that he does with his wife, is uh, they're playing on the 18th of September at the Yost Theater in here in orange county and i'm gonna to go to that show because it'll be fun so thank you very much for listening the music for the show is provided by lowercase noises as always and you can go visit the show's website 100 wordspodcastcom or email the show 100 words podcast oh excuse me swallowed my spit 100 words podcast at gmail.com and uh yeah you can say hi suggest other guests whatever whatever you'd like to discuss that's what i'm here for so yes, until next week. And uh, should I reveal the guest next week? Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, the guest next week is Corey Brandon. He is the vocalist for a band called Norma Jean. I love this show because one week I could talk to a person of the Bouncing Souls, and the next week I could talk to the lead vocalist for a, at one time, a very Christian metalcore band. It just, it's great. That's that's what's so beautiful about independent music. I love it. Anyways, please be safe, everybody.